0: Welcome back to another mini-episode of Everything is Public Health. I'm one of the hosts, MJ, and we are back with yet another mini-episode during this interluding period between seasons. Some announcements. Please follow us on Threads, Instagram, and Mastodon. As most of you know, Twitter, or I guess now X, has become very problematic for many, many reasons. While we aren't getting rid of our Twitter account yet, we are trying to shift as far away from that platform as possible and also doing our part with transitioning people off of that platform as well. Also, I do use Threads and Mastodon more regularly. So if you'd like to hear more from the podcast, or I guess from me... Uh, you can follow us on there and you will get a insight into my mind, which uh, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I'll leave that up to you. Another update, the long essay episode should be out next week if there's no delay in production, although I can't make that promise as of this point. Season 4 with regularly scheduled programming with everyone's favorite, cast, will return in September, which is only a few weeks away, so that's exciting. Anyway, back to today's focus. Today's episode is inspired by what some on social media are calling a hot labor summer. Hot because of climate change and that we have shattered more heat and other extreme weather records this summer than any other summer before, which is very depressing and labor because this summer has multiple high-profile strikes either, either occurred, is occurring, or threatened to occur. The most prominently featured strikes is probably the actors and writers strike in Hollywood, the UPS strike, and the airline industry strike. But there are many other smaller strikes at Starbucks, individual restaurants and franchises, hospitals, the list goes on. And we're seeing these strikes at higher rates than previous years. And this is a good thing. More and stronger unions means better treatment and working conditions for the people. And you know what that means. If it's good for the people, it's good for public health. We'll talk more on this later. I won't make this all about capitalism, although it has everything to do with capitalism. America has a long and bloody history of labor. When the premise of the post-industrial world is one of generate as much capital money as possible, everything else became an afterthought. There are very little incentives to pay the workers well or treat them, right? Because it's all about lowering costs. Working conditions were miserable and in many cases, literally dangerous. And on top of all that, the pay and the wages the workers are receiving are quite literally at poverty levels or below. If any individuals or a small group of workers were to resist or to demand any change, they would simply be fired and replaced. Since having no income is worse than having a little bit of income, the workers are essentially deadlocked or coerced into accepting the status quo, no matter how bad it is. I encourage everyone to learn more about this part of history and how bad the working conditions were back then. It's truly abhorrent, and workers were treated as completely disposable, and there was very little regard for anyone's well-being or economic situation. Faced with this, the only real options the workers had was solidarity, which manifested as unions and strikes. And the idea of this is quite simple and I think familiar to a lot of people. If we all stop working, then you have to come to the table to negotiate with us and you have to meet our very reasonable demands. That's how a union and a strike works. And it's through this process of having unions, striking, demanding change and negotiating that we have the standards that we have today. So here are a few things that we have because of unions. Uh, Things that we take for granted every week. The weekend. The weekend. No, not the artist that started that horrible show on HBO. I'm talking about Saturday and Sunday. The concept of a weekend can be largely attributed to unions fighting for better working conditions and rest. Previously, you sort of just worked all the time with no end in sight. And some could argue that it's still kind of the same this way. But, you know, the fact that we have weekends now is in a big part due to unions. Another thing that unions are responsible for, ending child labor. Children were forced to work because... Under capitalism, there really is no ethical limits for how you extract your labor as long as it's cheap. And child labor was very common back in the days. But because of unions, we decided that that is a terrible thing to put children in those really dangerous situations. And also, children should be focused on growing up and learning instead of doing backpacking work. This one is sad because now we're seeing a resurgence In child labor, thanks to right wing rhetoric. We'll probably do another episode on this later. Another thing that unions gave us uh, the 40 hour work week, whatever your opinions about it today, it used to be way worse. People again, people just sort of worked all the time because they were paid poverty wages and they sort of have to. The average number of hours worked per week back then was much closer to 60, 70 hours a week, sometimes even more. There were people that worked 12 hours a day for seven days a week. It was really bad. The standardized 40-hour work week that we know today was largely due to unions. And again, we'll reserve our... Commentary about whether we think that's too many or too little today, but, you know, it used to be way worse and unions help us get down to 40 hours. Another thing very similar is the 8-hour workday. People used to work 12, 14, 16 hours a day with no end in sight because that's how labor extraction and exploitation worked under capitalism. Again, unions make sure that the working day was limited for most laborers. Obviously, this doesn't apply to everyone. The 40-hour work week and the eight-hour work days, there are obviously exceptions. Like, for example, in the medical field is the one that comes to my mind because of my proximity to that field. Obviously, there are exceptions. Not every trade and occupation have the 40-hour work week or the eight-hour workdays, but still like It's a big part of our standards now, thanks to unions back then. Another thing that's a big part is mandatory work breaks. Previously, people didn't have work breaks. They were just sort of forced to work until they got hurt. Many, many stories about this. And this has to be fought too. Like There were very little things that the companies or the owners... Sort of just like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Let me just give this to you. Oftentimes, I would say the majority of the times, all these things that we take for granted and we consider as standard had to be fought for. They did not just hand it to us. Another thing, thanks to unions, a sick leave. Previously, if you got sick, you just got fired or just didn't get paid. And their rationale is, well, if you're not producing, then uh, why should I pay you? Which sounds reasonable until you really think about it, because being sick is kind of out of your control. And if you suddenly lose your wages when you are sick, again, something out of your control, that's kind of messed up. That means if you got sick, you might as well be dead because you can't work anymore and they will just fire you and replace you. So sick leave. Very important part of our labor practices today. Unions played a big part of getting sick leave safer working conditions, we could do a whole episode about OSHA, which we probably will, about how working conditions used to be awful and quite literally dangerous until unions stepped in and say, no, we want better working conditions. We don't want to be in danger. And if we are in danger, we deserve compensation or insurance. None of that existed back then until unions fought for it. And then benefits of many kind, including health insurance and disability insurance, all of those benefits you can thank unions for. And lastly, just better pay. Like We know unions are very good at negotiating better pay, and sometimes not even good pay, just like reasonable and competitive pay. So yeah, those are the list of things, a shortened list, but those are the main things that we have now because of union actions in the past. Again, unions, very important in the history of public health and labor. But for as long as there were unions, there were union busting. Companies and corporations have done Everything possible in the past and today to squash unions and worker solidarity from hiring scabs to actually illegal violence uh, without exaggeration, homicide and killings done by corporations either directly or indirectly to break the strike or discourage the union. You can fill an entire year of podcasting talking about the bloody history of union busting and strikes in this country. I personally recommend learning more about the Haymarket Affair, which was a sentinel event that happened in the labor history of the United States and indeed the world that sort of highlights One, just how bad things were, and also the type of solidarity that it took to win some very, very basic things. Uh, Where was I? Oh, right. The Haymarket Affair. I recommend learning about that from the podcast Behind the Bastard or from the podcast Stuff You Missed in History Class. Both are fantastic sources of the Haymarket Affair. It will change your perspective on everything so given how important unions are and how hostile the executives and elites are towards unions here are some basic information about unions and the tactic used to oppress them american workers have the legal right to unionize under the national labor relation act In conjunction, the National Labor Relations Board was created. It's an independent agency responsible for enforcing U.S. labor laws and combating unfair labor practices. So when you have a workplace conflict relating to uh, unions or labor practices, you will file a complaint at the National Labor Relations Board to sort of resolve or in most cases for the board to punish your employer for doing these illegal practices, which we'll get to. This is directly from their website under the National Labor Relation Act. Quote, you have the right to form, join or assist a union. You have the right to organize a union to negotiate your employer over your terms and conditions of employment. This includes your right to distribute union literature, wear union buttons, T-shirts or other insignia, except in unusual special circumstances, solicit co-workers to sign union authorization cards and discuss unions with co-workers. End quote. TLDR, basically, under this act, you can form a union to protect you and your fellow workers. Now, here are things that employers cannot do to you, as in it is illegal for them to do this, but allow them do it anyway. They cannot tell you that you cannot discuss your compensations with other workers, meaning that you are allowed to share your salary information with your workers to see if they're perhaps someone is getting paid more or someone's not getting paid enough compared to uh, workers of similar position. And uh, this is to encourage fair pay, so that you know there's no, for example, racial or gender discrimination. And also the whole idea that it's ta to talk about your salary, largely created through propaganda to sort of hide issues just like this. The more open we are with talking about how much we make, the more we can hold our employers accountable for discriminatory paying practices. Another thing that they cannot do, supervisors and managers cannot spy on you or make it appear that they are doing so. They cannot coercively question you, threaten you, or bribe you regarding your union activity or union activities of your co-workers. In other words, they can't bribe an employee to vote no on a strike, right? Any sort of bribery not allowed. You cannot be fired, disciplined, or demoted, or penalized in any way for engaging in these union activities. Okay, and this is very important. You cannot be fired for joining a union. In other words, if you are fired or if you think you are fired because of your union activities, That is illegal and your employers may be held responsible. Illegal union firings happens all the time. So those are from the National Labor Relations Act. But other things are also worth noting. Union busting is technically illegal, meaning that strictly speaking, these big companies cannot actively try to dismantle or disrupt the union. But they do have ways around it. Uh, One of the things that they do is that they engage in doublespeak, which means they don't say that they are busting unions. They say that they are avoiding unions, which is uh, the term is union avoidance. And union avoidance is a very big industry filled with consultants and lawyers to help these big companies, quote unquote, discourage unions from their workers. And this, I think, is ironic because the money that they spend on these big consulting firms for union avoidance or union busting and these lawyers, they could have just spent that money on making life better for the workers, but they don't. They would rather spend money uh, hiring these union avoidance consultants. Other tactics that these companies can use that are not necessarily illegal but are frowned upon. The easiest thing that they could do is hire scabs, which has happened throughout the history of unions, which is during times when the union is striking, the companies might try to hire workers that are not part of the union to sort of replace them so that they could keep producing while not compromising to form a new contract with the union. Other things that they can do is that, and this is a very common strategy, they make verbal promises and temporary improvements Until the drive for union formation or strike simmers down and then they could just revert back to their old ways because verbal promises, they're not written in paper in a contract, so they could be uh, taken away at any times. A lot of them engage in anti-union propaganda, which is spreading disinformation or misinformation about how a union works to their employees or asking employees to vote no when the union vote or strike vote comes They could also hold these captive audience meetings, which are mandatory meetings that they force the workers to go to. Again, more propaganda, talk about why unions are bad, spreading disinformation and misinformation about unions, and workers are forced to attend these meetings, and a bunch of other things that uh, we won't get into because they're not that important. But I do want to emphasize at this point that these sort of tactics are very common, In fact, I would venture a guess to say that resisting or even busting unions are the norm and not the exception. This is compounded by the fact that there's a long history of the right-wing party to reduce the power of the National Labor Relations Board and weaken unions altogether. Unions are not just about pay. In history, unions overwhelmingly have a record of improving the health, working conditions, and the well-being of the workers, and therefore, the community. Several critical improvements in occupational health are won because of unions. We can talk for a long time about this, and we probably will in a separate episode. But remember that public health is about the health of everyone, which means representation matters, and unions is one form of that representation. To public health, the profits of big companies are not as important as the well-being and health of the people. Solidarity is strength. Thank you so much for listening to this mini episode of Everything is Public Health. Please follow us on threads, Instagram, Mastodon, and Patreon. If you have any comments or suggestions, please reach out to us by email, which is everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed this mini crash course about the importance of unions. And remember, everything is public health.